So you're asking a very important question that most people say, okay, what do I do in the moment when I'm feeling like screaming and killing this person, right? So number one, don't kill the person. It's illegal. <laughs> it's <laughs> very good advice. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash half hour intern. This week, in sort of keeping with the theme that we started towards the latter half of last week, we will be dealing with mental health. And in today's episode and Thursday's episode, we'll be speaking with Patricia, Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona, who is a psychologist out of Walnut Creek, California. In today's episode, we'll be covering the topic of emotional regulation, which is something that we can all probably use a little bit of help with which is to say um, actually exactly what it sounds like, regulating your own emotions, sort of controlling your emotional state. So if you notice that sometimes, like if someone cuts you off in traffic and you get really angry about it, or if you just ruminate over something that happened in your past or something like that, um, that is an issue where you could use emotional regulation to help you out with that thing, to not get so worked up over something. Um Likewise, emotional regulation can help with things like procrastination and things where you are not getting worked up enough about something. And uh, and if you need to actively make yourself more excited about something or actively make yourself happier about something. Um, anyways, we will discuss all these different tips and tricks around emotional regulation. And on Thursday's episode, we will be covering um, OCD with Dr. Zarita Ona because she is uh, a real expert in the OCD world. And that is a large part of her practice. But on to today's episode, Emotional Regulation. Patricia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So for this first topic, we're going to discuss emotional regulation. And if I'm being completely candid, when you sent me an email and we were talking about having you on for OCD and you said, I would love to talk about emotional regulation as well, because it's sort of like a, a passion of mine and something that can really help people. The first thing I had to do was Google what the heck emotional regulation was because I'd never even heard of it before. So, and then once I Googled it, I was like, God, I'm so happy that we're going to talk about this. It's going to be a great thing to talk about. So, um, why don't you first tell everyone what emotional regulation is? Give us like a clinical definition and then maybe a more practical definition. Okay. Okay. So, when we're thinking about emotional dysregulation problems, we're thinking about feeling too much, too quick, too soon. As if you have an emotional dial that goes on and off anytime in any situation. Sometimes you can anticipate when your emotional switch is going to go Oh, Sometimes you cannot. The challenge is that when the emotion is really, really high at a high intensity, sometimes we tend to do whatever the emotion tells us to do, right? We tend to lash out, we tend to disconnect, we tend to blame others. And then, of course, there is a slow return to the emotional baseline level. It really takes a lot of time to go back to the natural emotional level. But by the time that we go back to the baseline, sometimes we have already cared about other people. We have created problematic situations for the people that we care about. So 
without realizing emotional dysregulation problems or feeling too much, too quick and too soon, are basically hurting a lot of the relationships that we want to cultivate and hurting us. Um, if I have to add a little bit more, I will say that it's not knowing how to go from an emotional switch to having an emotional dial and actually how you can um, choose the response to a particular emotion without damaging a relationship in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, it, as you say all that, it strikes me is how kind of complicated and convoluted this would be after the fact. If let's say you are in a heightened emotional state, you mm -hmm. lash out at somebody or you do something that maybe you shouldn't, we also have our own internal defense mechanisms to kind of protect ourselves and to like therefore justify our actions. So it's this, I feel like this almost like even worse complicated thing where when you were in this period of, of seeing red, let's say, and like acting um, too emotional and you do some sort of bad behavior, later on, even when you're a little bit more calm, you almost might want to justify it in your head as a means to just like psychologically protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that happens is that when the emotional switch is on, the back of your brain, the amygdala, right, the limbic system gets activated. And because of that, it completely shuts down your capacity to think and organize your behavior clearly. So a lot of people are struggling with emotional dysregulation problems. Whatever they feel, they think that is the absolute truth. No matter what the other person say, no matter what the other facts are, they don't count in that moment because there is a heightened emotion. Again, the model is I feel it, therefore it's true, right? Uh, now, the part that I want to clarify is that, of course, all of us experience at times some heightened emotions for whatever reason. I am Latino, and of course I'm coming for a <laughs> <laughs> There is a lot of emotional intensity, right? But when we're thinking about emotional dysregulation problems, we're thinking about a cluster of emotions that are driving problematic behavior. Basically, is when I'm angry, I get very angry. When I'm sad, I get very sad. When I'm anxious, I get very anxious. It's not just a depression problem. It's not just not knowing how to deal with anxiety. It's a cluster of emotions that are driving, again, a lot of ineffective behaviors that affect myself and affect the relationships. Um, and as you're saying, when emotion gets activated, there are so many ways that we handle that in a way that, you know, some people call it, yeah, this uh, defense mechanism. In the behavioral world of therapy, we talk about coping responses, right? So um, a couple of them will be blaming others, right? Will be lashing out to other people, going to what I call the ice cube behaviors, disconnecting from others. Uh, will be coming up with the stories about how the other person has wronged me. But all of that are coping responses to high intense emotions that people are going through. Right, right. So part of what could lead to these heightened emotions would be the stories that we'd be telling ourselves surrounding something that happens, which is something that, like you said earlier, like something that we all do from time to time, like we blow something out of proportion in our heads because we tell ourselves a bigger story about it. And now we have so much more emotion anchored to this thing. Yeah, that's the idea, right? So when we think about why some people have developed emotional dysregulation problems, we certainly have found that there is, for some of them, there is a genetic predisposition, right, to have an overactivation of the amygdala. And also in terms of a brain functioning, there is the overactivation of certain areas of the brain that makes them prone to be always on edge, 
right? Mm. And, you know, it's not just a one-time situation. Since they were kids, since they were teenagers, you see that development. They usually tend to have a lot of tantrums. They're really difficult to suit themselves. Uh, they want their things or nothing, right? Um, so that is one of the causes. Um, the just, op- sorry to interrupt, but that makes me think, too, of um, the... Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the exact term of it, but basically, it, like any sort of neurons in the brain, like even emotionally speaking, to my knowledge, like the more that those neurons fire, the more quickly they start to fire because they're used to following that pathway. They're used to firing like that. So like if you started out at a certain age uh, getting super anxious when certain things happen if you don't do something to try to emotionally regulate yourself it's just going to be easier and easier and easy for you to keep on being that way as you get older because your brain is actually going to default to that because those neurons are going to fire more quickly than anything else absolutely right in the, in behavioral therapy we refer to that as alert behavior right it's part of our learning history so once i learn to use um to respond to my emotion in a particular way and it works it's quite likely i'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over for example when we're thinking about people struggling with angry reactions it's not just a one-time situation. It's that during their learning history, while growing up, they have learned they can, they, they can get what they want by using anger as a way to handle other people's responses, right? Very often you will hear sometimes people saying, only if I get angry, I, you know, she will stop doing this. Or if I get upset, they will know what I really mean. The challenge is that they, again, they have learned to use anger as a way to manage their own emotions, but also to get a response that they want. The downside of that response is that it's damaging the relationships with the people they care about. Yeah, man, no uh, kidding. Yeah, so that's what gets very tricky, right? So there is a biological predisposition, but there is also what you were describing, this social learning, right? That while growing up, I have learned to handle my emotional uh, intensity in a way that it's not necessarily effective. And the more that I do it, the more that it keep, be, be, um, became part of my repertoire when handled with intense emotions. Yeah, right. So let's talk about the sort of yin to that yang, uh, which is probably the wrong way to say it, because I more mean uh, (laughs) like an equal imbalance in the other direction, which is another thing uh, specifically, I think that we look at a lot of the times with the way that someone grew up, which is if you grow up in a family that doesn't talk a lot, that isn't very open and communicative, you might always kind of hold in your emotions because you never really learn to express them as you were a child. And I think that a lot of times we see people that hold in their emotions and I don't know, like, would you define that as good emotional regulation or that is its own complete other set of of emotional regulation problems, which is like you're stuffing it down and not allowing yourself to have those emotions. And I guess then what would be the happy medium between these two things? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually an excellent question. Um, So what comes to my mind, I think I can tell you that sometimes, right, it is true that there is a lot of invalidating environments of the sense that we have grown up um, learning that it's not okay to talk about our emotions, especially the uncomfortable emotions, right? It's It's okay to talk about happiness and when I'm okay, when things are fun. But if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling ashamed or if I'm feeling embarrassed, we shouldn't talk about it. So that is where the emotional suppression shows up. 
The challenge is that there are times in which I have to notice my emotion without acting on it, right? Other times, if I suppress constantly, it's also not going to be effective. Let me give you an example. If I go to my sister's wedding and I'm so... Um, um, so excited because she's getting married, because she's making a new life. And, you know, I start getting nostalgic and I may get a little bit tearful, right? In that context, it's a completely regular response, right? It's a natural situation in which I'm going to get tearful, I'm getting nostalgic, it's totally fine. Imagine if I go to my work and I experience that with every single person I have to talk to. I get nostalgic and I start getting tearful over and over, you know. <laughs> um, so you see, it's the context that defines the workability of how I respond to my intense emotions, right? Right. So I think, again, at times, what has happened is that people have learned very quickly that it's okay to suppress emotions and they don't discriminate in which environment it's helpful and in which environment it's not. So that is, I think, the biggest challenge that we're facing. There is no discrimination when it's appropriate versus when it's not. Right, right. So, so far, we've pretty much talked about um, like down-regulating emotions and down-regulating down negative emotions um, that you would kind of go like off the deep end on, like, like your example of coming into work and just crying every time you saw someone, which is a great example. Um, something that I was reading about when I was doing my Google searching about emotional regulation is they were talking also about upregulating emotions, which is something that I didn't really consider. Um, could you talk a little bit about, about that and about trying to upregulate emotions when I guess either A, yeah, you're stuffing things down too much and you're not feeling them. Um, another example that I was reading about was just with motivation with things of like needing to actually get yourself motivated and like upregulate excitement and motivation and things like that. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So one of the things that we have found in terms of doing, yeah, in the work or, or the research of effective science is that while we experience a broad sense of emotions, somehow we have developed this idea that I have to wait for X emotion to show up, then I will be able to do X. For example, if I'm depressed and I'm feeling down, most of my clients, they will say, oh, you know, when I'm feeling, when I feel okay and better, then I will just go outside, right? So in the past, we used to believe that we have to wait for this X feeling to show up. However, thinking about upregulated emotions, we try to do the opposite of that, which is trying to create or provoke the emotion from the outside to the inside. That basically translates into doing things that, even though I don't feel okay, I'm going to turn on the radio, I'm going to listen to the music that really makes me smile and cheers me up, mm. or I'm going to call a good friend of mine, right? So it's not necessarily that emotion has to drive my behavior, it's the opposite. I can feel sad, I can see, and I can still do something that really matters to me and is going to help me to feel better and have a different emotional experience. So that is something we're trying to do these days and help our clients to not wait for this so-called good feeling to experience in order to take a different behavior. Right. To, to, to basically take charge of your... I mean, it sounds like this whole thing, no matter what you're doing, it's really just taking charge of your emotional state. Um, it... Man, this makes me think so much of, of two different things. One is of uh, sort of like the motivational and self-help guru scene and like Tony Robbins specifically, how he always talks about 
uh, physical motion leading to emotion. And he's like, you know, if you're tired or if you're sad, like jump up and down or like dance in the middle of your house or do say, you know, he's like, you're, I know the last thing you want to do right now is dance in the middle of your house, but just do it, you know, just do it and you'll start to feel better. Or um, it also makes me think of a journal that I've had for a while now called the five minute journal, which is excellent, which is basically just a gratitude journal that makes you start every day and end every day thinking about things that you are happy for in your life. And um, in both of those things being like journaling and then physically moving around being, I guess, great ways to sort of upregulate your emotions by forcing you to think about the things that, that are actually good in your life, that are actually yeah. positive. Um, or if let's say you're struggling with even just like the motivation to go to the gym or something like really thinking about like how great it's going to be when you look good and, you know, whatever, and, and trying to get yourself in an emotional state. Um, that you do want to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. I think what you are describing are really cool examples, right? But if you notice there is a key variable here, it is that you take action first, and then that is going to drive a different emotional experience. So when we're thinking about up-regulating emotions, we're really looking at the change from the outside to the inside. That mm. is the biggest variable, right? So I think 30 years ago, we didn't know that. Right? We were just waiting for these emotions to take over. These days, we know that even though you're feeling down, if you drag yourself to the gym, if you listen to the music you like, if you do your gratitude journal, that behavior is going to shift your emotional experience. So the change goes from the outside to the inside, which is a very different, I think, model to be thinking about emotions. Definitely. I like that a lot. So how about on the down-regulating side? Is that also an outside-to-inside thing, or is that something that really needs to come from the internal? You know, that's an interesting question. I can tell you about what I tr we try to do in that work in therapy these days is when people experience um, high intense emotions, we just help them to first notice them, acknowledge they are, they are there without fighting, without trying to bubble them up, without trying to suppress them or distract them, right? And from that place, step back and then choose their behavior. So what we have found is that the literature refers to people with high intense emotions as being emotion phobics, right? Uh, we don't like to feel what we feel, especially if it's uncomfortable. So we do all types of things to fight and wrestle with emotion. The challenge is that when we engage in those behaviors, all we're doing is amplifying the emotion. So the core skill when you're thinking about emotion regulation um, skills is to basically learn to notice the emotion, take it for what it is, Sometimes you don't have to do anything about it besides acknowledging it and choose your behavior. Patricia, you sound so much right now like the, uh, the voices that I have speaking to me in my Calm app and like Headspace and like different <laughs> meditation apps and stuff, you know, like, so let's, let's talk about ways to try to help out with this. I imagine meditation has got to be like a number one on the list. <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. So there are different, um, Therapy approaches that have incorporated meditation and mindfulness practices, right, as a particular skill or model that we can teach clients to uh, manage emotional regulation problems. And by the way, we love using Headspace with our clients. We absolutely love it. They That's have done so an great. incredible job. Yes. Um, there is this other app that we use a lot with our clients, Budify, which is uh, mindfulness in an urban environment, right? If you're taking the train, how you can practice meditation. If you're going to the grocery shop, 
shopping, really cool applications. Mm. Um, but going back to what you were um, mentioning, is that it is true. So dialectical behavior therapy was the first treatment integrating Eastern and Western psychology for clients that were dealing exclusively with emotional dysregulation problems. And then from that, um, after DBT, we do have other types of models like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction, acceptance and commitment therapy, incorporating mindfulness not only as a one skill, but also as a whole model to actually help clients to notice the emotion, acknowledge their step back and then choose a behavioral response that is more effective given the context where they are at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there, so it, it sounds like these, these two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, but so on, on, on that front, it sounds like a little bit more of these are sort of like more maintenance things, like things that like it, it takes a while of, of meditating to start to catch yourself having thoughts and to like think about your own thoughts. Like that's not something that just happens overnight, you know, or it takes a, a good amount of therapy to, for that, those sorts of things to start happening or for them to become fairly regular. Are there any sort of like stopgap fire alert immediate things that you tell people like if you find yourself in a really heightened emotional state, try blank, like throwing a glass of water in your face or like something like weird that's like, all right, when you're in a crazy state, like just do, try to do this thing if you don't have enough time to like um, calm down or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So here's what we know, right? Once that stress hormones have been released in the brain, it usually takes 25 to 30 minutes to go back to the emotional baseline level. Wow. So we know that as a fact, right? So you're asking a very important question that most people say, okay, what do I do in the moment when I'm feeling like screaming and killing this person, right? So number one, don't kill the person. It's illegal. (laughs) It's very good advice. (laughs) Number two, don't go to drink a scotch. It's 8 a.m. in the morning. Yes. Um, This is what I I invite my clients to do. So what I'm going to say sounds like a very simple response. However, I can tell it's a very powerful one. So the way to handle these intense emotions in the moment many times is by anchoring ourselves with our breathing. All what we have is our breathing and our body to ground ourselves. Wherever we are, we carry our body with ourselves. So you can basically press your feet against the floor as hard as you can. You can pretend that your body is the trunk of a tree and you are stretching that. You can touch your fingers. If it's possible, you can even hug yourself. You can start slowing down your breathing. So this is a very important intervention because, again, all we require is the willingness for people to do something in the moment using their body mm. that's uh man that's such another how, how you mentioned the uh when we're trying to upregulate emotions starting from the outside in this is such another outside in thing in terms of down regulating your emotions with the slow breathing and everything it's like you're you're physiologically changing your your experience you're like physiologically changing your body to to become a little bit more calm and maybe a little bit more balanced in the way it's thinking about things That's right. That's exactly what happens. When we're breathing, we're activating the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, which which is in charge of relaxation and soothing responses. Now, again, I want to really emphasize this. When I I share this with my clients or with my friends or with the people I work with, they say, Dr. Z, that's a bunch of baloney. What is my breathing going to do, right? Here's what I can tell you. It works. 
but it requires practice and consistency. It is a skill that needs to be cultivated and rehearsed over and over. And the idea with practicing the breathing or anchoring ourselves in the moment, it's not about getting rid of the emotions or distracting from them. It's simply just letting the emotions have its own curse without damaging our life or the people that we care or without taking without us taking um, a behavior that is not going to be helpful for us. Mm, yeah. I imagine a large part of it too has to be to actually want to let the negative emotion go because so often if we have let's say a problem with another person there's a part of us that really wants to hold on to that problem like you don't like the feeling that it's making you have but it's like that person effed up i'm i don't want to forget the fact that they effed up you know and i'm angry with them and i'm going to stay like they deserve for me to be angry with them for a while or something so as you you could be doing this breathing exercise while the whole time you're doing the breathing exercise you're still thinking about how much you hate the person it's like you need to part of you needs to be legitimately willing to let that pass and let that go otherwise i imagine this is very difficult yeah yeah you know when we think about clients especially with anger or with revenge fantasies right or people who really have a struggle in forgiving others forgiving people that have wronged them or have hurt them you're right it's really a hard thing to let it go right um one of the things that we try to look at in therapy or, or, or in general is looking um at the workability of certain behavioral responses for example, when I get angry and I really don't want to let it go because the person uh, in the freeway cut me off or something like that, right? Um, is it really effective for me to hold into that anger for the rest of my day? Is it really helpful to me to hold into anger when I go back home to my partner and he wants just to talk about how was his day and here I am, you know, going over and over how the other person made a mistake? Is it really helpful for me to ruminate and dwell multiple times, hours and hours about what went wrong in the morning? So there is something about experiencing valid emotions. It's absolutely real. It's my experience. It doesn't mean that it's effective for me to dwell on them through my day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the biggest difference, right? And with anger in particular, what you have is anger feels so real, so real, and can be energizing for people, right? The challenge with anger is there is a lot of rules that have been broken, and also there is a lot of rumination, right? People dwell over and over and over. The classic example, a Latino woman gets into a fight with her husband. What does she do? She calls her mom to complain about a husband, calls her sister to complain about a husband, and they think that that's, you know, the way to do it. The challenge is that when they are complaining about what happened with a husband, they are actually ruminating over and over about what went wrong. Right. They're like reliving the situation over and over again. That's right. And then that's like exercising the muscle of anger, right? So those responses, the rumination, right? The venting, it's actually amplifying the emotion. It's not letting the emotion come and go. It's actually making it stay longer. We're not saying here that anger is an invalid reaction. Anger is pretty real. We're talking about when it's effective to act on anger and when it's not. And that's why distinguishing what's helpful versus what's not, it's a key skill when looking at emotional dysregulation problems. Yeah, definitely. So I would love to know, so this part of our interview has mainly been focused on um, just like everyday problems that people have and everyday thought processes and stuff like that. Um, The next part, we're going to be focusing on something sort of much more 
quote unquote serious, which is OCD. Um, I would love to know if emotional regulation, if you focus on it often and, and let's say even early enough from a, from an early enough time in your life, would it be able to prevent serious psychological problems from forming at some point in your life? Like if you, let's say when you were 28 years old, were going to get diagnosed with anxiety, um, like clinical anxiety, uh, if when you were 20, you started practicing some emotional regulation things, um, could you possibly end up preventing that diagnosis in your future? Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful question, right? One of the things that we have found and research has been very consistent on this is that if we teach emotional regulation skills to children, to teenagers, we're definitely preventing a lot of uh, broken relationships in adult life. Not to mention other behaviors such as cutting, excessive drinking, excessive sexually acting out, right, or difficulties maintaining a jobs. So the data, the data has been very consistent. In, yes, if you teach these skills about noticing the emotion, acknowledging the emotion without fighting with it, stepping back, adjusting a behavior, people actually can get better. This is a completely workable scenario, and it's a skill that can be practiced. The more people do it, the better it gets. And it really will prevent a lot of, I think, interpersonal problems, isolation, disconnection, and other types of very maladaptive coping responses that people tend to engage in adult life. That's great. That's so great to hear. So, I mean, there's no reason not to start today with any, with any of these things. If if you you know you never know what your life is going to hold. You never know what sort of traumatic thing could happen to you one year from now. That if you started on these things right now, like how much better might you handle this this trauma in your life in the future? Um, because you uh, you you flex this muscle a little bit up until that point. Absolutely. I really, I really appreciate this comment, right? On the sense that we can start wherever we are right now. The core skill is to know this emotion again, and knowledge it exists, acknowledging my urges to do something about it, stepping back and checking, is my behavior effective or not? It seems pretty, you know, pretty simple. It's hard to do it. But the more that we do it, the better it's going to get. What I like about it so much too, is that there has to be a piece of it that then ties into your self-esteem and feeling good about yourself and everything. Because like you said, it's not simple. um, And it's something that you really do have to work on. So if you are able like the first time that you catch yourself with a negative emotion and you breathe and you get over whatever it is, uh, you're you're probably going to be pretty proud of yourself, I would imagine. And then that leads to other positive changes in your life. And then that leads to you wanting to do that more in the future. It's... uh, it's great. Like any boost in self-esteem I find is always so great because it, it typically overflows into so many other areas of your life. Yeah. I think what comes to me when you're sharing that is that when I think about emotional dysregulation problems, one of the I think biggest challenges that people encounter is this ongoing history of chronic um, I'm sorry, this ongoing change of broken relationships. The challenge is that when you're dealing with a lot of emotional dysregulation problems, not only it's difficult you know, to keep a job or to go into drinking excessively or using drugs, but also your relationships get completely affected. 
So there is a lot of actually um, emptiness, uh, rejection, reactivity, anger, this fear about being abandoned, uh, pushing people away, right? Um, and I really believe, because I have seen this, right, that when people can learn to manage their response to their intense emotions, their relationships are simply going to get better. That takes a lot of work, but it is possible. Without that, all what we have is actually a history of broken relationships and tons of disconnection. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, all right, let's go ahead and wind this thing down here. And if you could give us your sort of number one tip to help people get started with a path towards healthy emotional regulation. So I will just suggest um, a three-step process when the emotions comes. Just notice the emotion for what it is. Notice the feelings um, that come for you, the sensations in your body, the thoughts that come with it, the urges to do anything about the emotion in the moment. See if you can ground yourself with your breathing or pressing your feet really hard against the floor. And then choose a behavior that is going to be effective for you in the moment. And an effective behavior is the one that helps you to be the best version of yourself, not what emotion tells you to do. Mm. Man, I love that so much. And I, I want to get working on all this so much more because I... I would have to imagine that there's no greater skill to have than full command over your emotions like that. The ability to to uh, downregulate your negative emotions as much as possible and the ability to upregulate your positive emotions as much as possible is there could be no greater skill in life. Like that, that is the ultimate uh, sort of catalyst towards greatness in one's life is to be able to uh, manifest emotions from nothing or, or to manipulate your own emotions to, to work for, for good, you know, um, rather than to, to, to like destruct different relationships in your life and in your own life. Uh, this is, uh, this has all been so interesting and awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.